Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that we've been lucky enough to implement here for over two years now. The product in and of itself is exactly what you need it to be, guys, with options ranging from being a workout provider, as in sending the workout directly to the student-athlete's phones, to being a place where you can communicate with them and bring together multiple streams of data to be its own dashboard for you, your coaching staff, or the athletes. Or you can use what we've added to our, our menu of Coach Me Plus activities, and that's Hydration Station, where all of this information that is provided is based off of research from the Corey Stringer Institute, where we're looking at weighing in versus weighing out and then providing optimal hydration uh, strategies for the student-athletes by them selecting through the menu and tapping on what they'll take home with them and what they're consuming prior to the next practice um, when all the numbers at the top are lined up green. It's something we've had really good success with and the kids have really bought in on. Just another great example of the awesome product that you can find at coachmeplus.com. Guys, hop over to coachmeplus.com today and check it out. It's a product I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out the community. The community is an exclusive members website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world, ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away. Tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff, go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it, you're signed up, ready to roll, and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not, feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down to talk training and coaching with no other than Elite FTS's Dave Tate. Dave starts talking about the conjugate method and the and the role of the dynamic effort method and how long it took him to get into actually training with bands and chains. He then breaks down for us where bands and chains can fit with novice athletes, even though the dynamic effort method is really meant for athletes who have a much higher training age. He then touches on learning and, and the role of finding the whys in the training process. Um, and then he starts talking about mentorship and where that fits and, and really discusses the role of it and how to find one and why it's so important. And, and this leads us into our last topic, and that is the, the idea of living as if and working to figure out what the best have done to become the best, not just emulating them when they are the best. 
This is truly a fantastic talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Dave, thank you so much for being on with us this week. Thank you. Yeah, really excited for this. And uh, like we were just starting to talk about I, watching an Instagram live you did when you were driving to, into to the compound this week, talking about some things that you've seen based on the training you did, you know, getting to where you are in the weight room and some misconceptions that people have with what that whole progression is. Um, Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your views on some of those things and where you see that fitting in this whole training, coaching, lifting, the whole deal culture that we were all encased in. I think that, and, you know, I I hate to sound like the, you know, I, I joke around and say that, you know, when I was younger, I had many conversations with, you know, older lifters and older business people and mentors or whatever you want to call them. You know, I just call them associates or friends where and I call them, you know, breakfast conversations or dinner, lunch conversations. And I would listen to what they were saying. And I would say, man, that's bullshit. You're full of shit. What do you fucking squat? What do you know? You know, what's the last thing you've really fucking done? And now I'm that dude. You know, I'm on the other side of the table. So the, the key thing to realize is when you're the, when you do get to the point where you're on the other side of the table, don't forget what it's like when you were on the other side, you know, um, meaning most of the people that listen to the things that I'm going to say are going to, they're not going to get it, you know, and it's, but if it just resonates a little bit with a few of them, then it's going to help tremendously when it comes to, you know, the one question you were talking about in particular is, I get asked quite frequently, you know, when should I use bands and chains, you know, with dynamic work and my training bias is conjugate. I've never stated otherwise. Um, That's not to say that I don't understand block training and other forms of training very well. It's just where my bias falls. I think it's important that anybody who is in this field does state what their bias is because it makes it easier for people who are listening to them to understand where they're coming from and where they fall because just because my bias may be different than somebody else's doesn't mean that I can't learn from them and they can't learn from me. It's when you don't know where their bias falls, where things get a little cloudy. Um, and this usually means they don't know what the fuck they're talking about because everybody has some type of bias. But anyhow, the, I get asked a lot about the chains and the bands. And I was at Westside when these things were introduced. I was at Westside before these things were introduced. So, I mean, Louie was doing the dynamic effort method well before I got there in 91, but I was there for a couple years before chains were introduced. Then we used chains for a few years before bands were introduced. Then, so say two years of dynamic work without, before using chains, and then maybe another three years before bands came into play. So if I want to really advise people, if they're going to follow the same path that I followed, well then do the dynamic effort, actually do basic linear periodization for 10 years, and then go into more of a conjugate type of West side approach, do that with straight weight for a few years and then do the chains for a few years. So then you're ready to start using bands. And then when you want to tar- start asking me about circumax phases, it's like, Oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? You know, that's like 15 years into the training process for me, but that's, that's not a true, true reality because things can be, you know, expedited and put in sooner. And there are reasons to use, 
bands for a beginner, which wouldn't be the same reason as an advanced. The, the important aspect that I think gets lost is technique. You know, you have to have very solid technique before you start implementing any type of accommodating resistance, you know, for force. You know, it can be argued that bands can help develop technique, but for force, you have to have solid technique. If you don't, then you're just doing yourself a disservice. No, and that's awesome. So let's let's keep going down that rabbit hole a little bit then. So where do you see, break down that idea of using the bands with more novice lifters and where they could, coaches could be looking at things that that could help them improve? Okay. When, um, when I was still, when I was training at Westside, I was working as a personal trainer in a corporate fitness center. So very few athletes, maybe one or two athletes, the rest just, you know, 35 to 50 year olds that hadn't been able to work out or hadn't trained for five, six, seven years. So very, very deconditioned adults. And even with the athletes I was consulting with, you know, on the side and when I was on the road with Louie, two things that I found were the most difficult to be able to teach in the squat, we'll just use that as an example, were the ability to apply force, and that's to stand up using compensatory acceleration or just to stand up with force, to stand up with authority, to stand up with, you know, neural drive. You know, I'm trying to make this so everybody can understand what I'm talking about. So when you stand up, you're standing up with the most possible force you can. That's very hard to teach to a beginner, really hard to teach. Just, they just, they don't, they don't grasp it. And the other thing is tightness. Tightness was a very hard thing to teach to these beginners because they, they're used. And if it's an athlete, they're used to playing loose. You know, you don't get all muscles tight if you're running, you know, some are tight, some are loose, you know, so they're loose to kind of, or used to kind of stand loose. So when you're telling them to get under a bar and tighten everything, it's a really foreign concept. And you can sit there and you can, you know, push on them and push them and, you know, jab them with sticks. And, you know, I came up with all different kinds of things to try to do. But what I found was even if I just used a broomstick and I put a light band or a monster mini band on the bar for the squat, as soon as they took it out of the rack, it kind of threw them around. So the neural response to them getting thrown around was to immediately get tighter. So then I was able to say, okay, this is what you're supposed to feel like. And then worry about how you breathe, you know, and how to hold that tightness. But that immediately showed them that. Then if I had them sit down onto a box and they tried to stand up as they normally would, you know, out of a chair or off the toilet or anything else, just with normal speed, they weren't able to get up. They'd have to stand up with force. So just by using a little bit of band tension, I was able to at least get them to experience what standing up with authority felt like and what staying tight felt like. And so that's when I, now that's completely different than using the bands as an accommodating resistance to, you know, help with, you know, balancing the strength curve and, and increasing force development. This is a completely different thing. This is just a teaching tool. Things that were to teach in the squat, and it also worked with the bench and some other lifts as well. But you have to, you know, play around with the band tension, and that's pretty, pretty simple to do. Yeah, no doubt. And I think too that 
kind of that leads right into is, you know, it's taking things and taking a step back and breaking it down and, and, and using different methods and things to teach people comes back to how things are interpreted by the coach based on what people before them have been doing. You're a guy that's been in the game who really has been a driving force to a lot of what's going on in strength and conditioning. When you look at how people are interpreting different things, whether it be from the sport performance realm or just how athletes are working all the way down to, to business, what are some things that you're seeing that people can do better to make this whole thing work as a better unit? Learn. You know, just take take more. Don't. Don't look, I don't want to sit there and say, you know, don't look for the easiest route because this isn't a new thing. Looking for the easiest route is not a new thing. You know, it's, we've been doing this. I mean, people have been doing this ever since I was in elementary school, you know, cheating on tests, writing on little tiny pieces of paper to stick in the palm of your hand, you know, so they're, I mean, they're always looking for the easiest route. So, and sometimes that can bring out, you know, new ideas and creativity. But what I see now is, you know, the, they want to, they want to learn from the easiest source instead of trying to dig a little bit deeper to understand why they're doing what they're doing. So they just want to be told, you know, do this, you know, as a coach, be told, this is what you do, do this with your athletes and that what you do. And it's kind of, it's, it's always been that way. I mean, when I was coming up, you know, somebody, if whoever was the national champions, somebody would get a hold of their program and then that would filter down and that's what every high school coach would do. Um, and it was a mistake back then as well, where the, the good coaches were the ones that were trying to develop their own training philosophies because they wanted to know why, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And because everybody's dealing with a different toolbox, you know, everybody's dealing with different lumber, you know, and everybody's building different houses, you know? So it's, there's, there's no modular homes when it comes to strength and conditioning. There's, there's just too many different interrelated parts that, and the only ones that we really have true control of is what we know and what we know we don't know, you know, so our own education, that's the only thing we really have control of. And a lot of people just put minimum, minimum amount of time into that to begin with. And they just solely rely on ebooks. They don't ever look in the textbooks. They don't ever seek people out. You know, when I was coming up, you, I mean, you would, you would go visit, you know, these coaches to be able to learn from them because you can learn more in two days of hands-on speaking with any coach than you're ever going to learn from anything online, even if it's a webinar or whatever it is, because there's it's, it's there's there's more to nonverbal communication than people are. You know, they seem to have forgotten that aspect of learning. You know, it's how much of it goes into that, how much of it goes into, you know, dissecting what's in front of you and then being able to ask questions specific to your own needs instead of, you know, a larger audience. So there, I think it's become a little more uh, sheltered, you know, personally sheltered, where if they individual starts reading something like super training which by the way if you just if you're to search google for the best strength training books or the best books any coach should have or anything of like 
of that. Every list, you're going to see the book Super Training on. But yet you start asking people how many have actually read it, and the number drops tremendously. So if it's on every list, but nobody reads it, you know, that's, that's kind of like, it's a clue, you know. And if it's on everybody's list, that's also a clue. But what typically happens is they'll start digging into it and say, oh, shit, this is too confusing for me. And instead of approaching it like they would a textbook and spending a year, you know, or more figuring it out and what they don't understand, looking up those parts and seeing what it actually means. Everybody has the capacity to learn. You know, if you look in a book and you see some concept you don't understand, the cool thing today is you can Google this shit and you can figure out what it means. Whereas I had to call people, you know, I had to get a hold of people like Sif and Louis Simmons and ask them, what the fuck does this mean? You know, just to be able to get through that section where I think a lot of coaches now just, they just say, fuck it. You know, they don't do it. And then they'll find an article and say, that's it. That's the gospel. But, you know, the, the further away you get from the textbooks, the further away you're kind of getting from science and the further you're getting away from, you know, what, what's validated and what's really not validated. And this isn't to disregard under the bar knowledge. You know, the under the bar knowledge is just as important, if not more important. But the only way you're really going to get that is to go see the people as well. So it's not easy, you know, and that's the knowledge is out there. and We have vast amounts of education, but the means of getting the best education really hasn't changed in the past 40 years. Going to see people who know what the fuck they're doing and legitimate textbooks. No, I love that. And I think that the one thing too, that a lot of people I think are afraid of is like making that call and being like, well, no, you can't come see me, but I, I mean, shoot, we drove up there and spent the day with you and Lou just a few years ago. I mean, it's not like there's a lot of time people are like, yeah, no, no, you're not coming in my way. Well, here's the thing. If you don't, the answer is always no if you don't ask. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just, to me, it's a ridiculous thing. Like, if you want to succeed at whatever you're choosing to do, and there's people that you feel can help you, and you're not at least asking questions or trying to build some type of relationship, especially online the way things are now, and you're going to fail. You know, the, I, and one of the other questions I get asked over and over and over is, how do you find a mentor? I'm like, oh, my God. You know, if you have to ask that, then you, you already suck. You know, because those will be the people that are going to send out messages and emails saying, will you be my mentor? It's like, what is this? You know, like junior high and you're asking me out on a date. You know, what the, what the, that's not how this works. You know, it's, you, know you, you, you develop trust. You, gotta, you, you know what I'm saying? You got to develop a relationship because – um, and now it's even a trickier situation because to me, a mentorship is not where you go pay somebody $4,000 to sit with a group of five other people and just jerk each other off with stupid information you can find online for free. You know, a mentorship is just building a network of people that, you know, are, have a vested interest or not vested interest in helping you. And even if it's not a financially vested interest, anytime somebody begins to try to help somebody else. It is a vested interest, even if there's no finance involved whatsoever, because it's your advice. You know, if somebody's asking me training advice and I give them bad advice and they get hurt, you know, I kind of have a vested interest to make sure the advice that I'm providing isn't going to fuck them up. You know, I want them 
to do better. You know, it's, the last thing you want to do is give somebody shitty advice. And I think that's pretty much true for anybody except trolls. No, no doubt. And I think, too, the other thing that it's that has to be a two way street, you know, like those relationships aren't going to be built just by that message being like, well, you mentor me. It's like, well, why am I supposed to care about you? Like, what are you going to do to help build this? You know, like reaching out is one thing, but providing value both ways is extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can say that it's, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's understanding the, the time, you know, and, and what it takes. I mean, it takes, I answer every one of my DMS on Instagram and that, yes, it takes me maybe an hour, an hour and a half every day, but that's, that's not that much time for the value I get out of it. So people are going to say, what do you mean the value you get out of it? You know, well, the value I get is I get to, I get to help people like we used to on our Q and a years ago when our Q and a was really popular. We still have a Q and a now, you know, on the website, but it isn't as fast or it isn't as easy as what, say Instagram is until the DMS get fucked up. Like they will as every other private messaging service ever has, but it's, it's not just providing value to the person who's asking the question It's providing value to the person who's answering the question. And I think that gets lost a lot of times that people think that the, just because somebody, you know, just because I answer a question for somebody, there's an expected return. They elite FTS and that's, that's just bullshit. You know, it's, I can go through and probably name 15 or 20 coaches that I've sat down at least four or five hours with to help show them what their training philosophy was and then be able to note that within the one or 12, say six to 12 months, 24 months after meeting with them, they spent over three to $400,000 on a weight room from a competitor's company. And I can sit there and say, you know what, that's bullshit. That was a waste of my time. That fucking guy doesn't value my, you know, my, anything that I said whatsoever. And I can get caught up in all that, but that's not how the universe works. You know, when I give out the universe determines how I'm going to get back, you know? So it may not be from that person I'm actually giving to. When you give a gift, it's like forgiveness. You know, you, you don't forgive somebody so much. So for them, you forgive them for yourself so you can move on. You know, when you give people, you give. So it's an, it's a gift that allows you to continue to learn, to hone your craft even better. So there's a lot that goes into that giving than just giving to help somebody else out. There's a huge personal reward just in the act of doing that. No, 100%. And I think, too, when we're talking about this whole mentorship and building and give and take, you know, we were talking before we started – uh, recording about living as if. Mm -hmm. How about we, we we talk on that for a little bit because I think that ties all three of these together really well. I like to take a lot of uh, quotes that get thrown out, motivational quotes, and like turning them up upside down. I do it just because it's fun for me, but it also can change the paradigm. So one of the things that I've always heard and hell I used to give seminars where it was one of the main points of my closing was to act as if 
you whatever you want to be. So if you want to be the greatest powerlifter in the world, act as if you are. If you want to be a millionaire, act as if you are. If you want to be you know, the greatest coach in the world, act as if you are. But there's a huge problem with this because once somebody gets to that point, and I'll use powerlifting as the example, once somebody gets to an elite level powerlifter, what they actually have to do to stay there and to be at that level is completely different than the person who's still climbing to get there. Completely different. Where the elite level lifters, working with them, it's usually more a matter of making sure they come into the meet as healthy as they possibly can be. And that means a lot of pulling back, you know, a lot of what some people would say deloading, a lot of, you know, no accessories this week, you know, put them in this week. You know, there's, there's a lot of auto regulation to be able to get them to peak because, you know, they're closer to their genetic threshold or their genetic limit. So you're just trying to put the best numbers together and to put five pounds on, you know, a 900 pound or an 800 pound squat is really fucking hard to do compared to putting it on a 250 pound squat. So you can't mimic the behaviors of what the people at the top of the hill are doing because they're at the top of the hill. It's completely different. You need to mimic the behaviors of the people climbing the hill. The same as, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, you don't want to mimic the behaviors of the millionaire because first off, you don't have a million dollars, you know, so you can't invest the way that they invest. You know, you can't, you know, if you're broke ass poor, you can't go out and buy a pack of pins. You need to go to the bank and take the free pins that are sitting on the counter. You know, it's, so it's, there's a disconnect there where you have to strive for what they, what they strove to be and do that. And then, you know, put yourself with people who are better than you, who are the same as you and people who are under you in a way, you know, I don't like to use the word under you because nobody's really better than anybody else. But if it's, if it's a powerlifting gym type setting, you want lifters who are stronger. That way you can learn and watch from what they're doing, not act like what they do, but learn. You can see how technically efficient they are. You can notice how they approach the bar. You can notice so many things that you can't see online that you can only notice in the gym. Then if you're also training with people at the same level as you are, you have somebody to compete with. You know, you got that drive like, fuck you. I'm, you're not getting me today. I pitch. I'm going to get you. You know, then if you have people that are under you and then you teach them which helps you to learn the more you teach better you get. So that's kind of the overreaching message. If you act as if, you know, you're already there, then you're just fooling yourself. You got to act as if you are where you are and do something about it. So if you suck, you got to act as if you suck and do what you need to not suck anymore. Don't act as if you're great and don't you see, see, see what I'm saying? Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And it's, it is funny when you kind of take a step back and look at it because there are a lot of people that look at things and they're, I mean, like you started saying in the beginning is that people want to be told what to do. So then the high school football program rolls out and they get Scott Cochran's program at Alabama. And they're like, Alabama is the best team in the country. This is making them the best team in the country. But those kids worked tirelessly you would think to get to that level. The well, the talent. Well, there's that too, but <laughs> there's not a high school football team in in the South now that doesn't have a strength coach, and these kids aren't training. And you know, they put the work in to get to this, but they just want to do this. 
and you mm-hmm. see it everywhere with it, and it's really fascinating in a, in a way. It's kind of discouraging though, is that when I speak to coaches as well, because sometimes that high school strength coach or the high school coach that's running the weight program has 15, 20 years experience working with, I mean, high school kids are beginners when it comes to the weight room, you know, and I can sit there and talk to them for an hour, two hours and have them tell me everything that works, everything that they know carries over to developing a better athlete, but they're willing to throw all that out the window because somebody won a national championship, which is so fucked up because I'm not saying that a national championship is easy to do by any means. I mean, that's a whole different level of coaching, motivation, leadership, talent, the whole nine yards. But that whole program from the athlete to the coaches to the administration is completely different than a high school program. It's to mimic one tiny aspect is not going to work. If if that, it's just, it's asinine to me. It doesn't make any sense. It would be like, you know, the, the small business owner, mom and pop shop that's got, you know, one person running it and a part-time employee trying to mimic all the corporate standards of a Fortune 500 company. It just doesn't fucking work. They can't afford it, for one thing. You know, it's just crazy. No, 100%. And I think that people understanding where they are and where things are going and Knowing what that pinnacle is, but having that path to get there is ultimately what we're supposed to be doing anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really not that, it's not that complicated if you're just even slightly, if you have the, the slight ability to look at yourself and to realize that you're not perfect, you know, and where your shortcomings are, figure out where they are, because, you know, those are definitely things that you have to work on, but in sport, you definitely have to work on them. But in, in business, you got to also figure out where your strengths are. Because if you treat business the same way that you treat, you know, athletics or powerlifting to where the main goal is to bring up your weak points, you're going to go out of business. You know, in business, you got to figure out your strengths and maximize those because those are the things that other people aren't going to be able to compete with. You know, and sometimes that gets misconstrued again. Because they're trying to act as if, you know, they're already someplace that they're not. So they're not being realistic with their own selves on what their capabilities are and what their strengths are. Their strengths could be completely different than that other person that they want to act as if they are like. And that strength could actually be the, the thing that propels them above that person that they would like to be like. No, no doubt. And I think that that's... An absolutely fantastic point and ties everything together. That whole idea of as if and where you're going and understanding the goods and the bads with everything that you're doing um, it is something that we all, coaches, business people, whatever it is, need to be better at. And uh, Dave, I, I can't thank you enough, not just for the time today, but for everything that you've done. I, I wouldn't be a coach still if it wasn't for Elite FTS. I started getting in and really caring about training because of the Q&A. And I am lucky enough to still have one of the first weight rooms that you guys put together. And those racks are, they look like they're, it's still 2001, man. That's cool, man. It's really awesome. And everything that you've done for this field and everything you continue to do, man, 
this this is an absolute honor, and I'm really happy that you were able to take the time today, man. This means the world to me. So thank you very much for everything you've done and continue to do. Thank you, too. I appreciate it, Dave. We'll be in touch real soon, man. Thank you. Okay, thanks. And a huge thank you to Elite FTS's Dave Tate for taking the time to be with us today. Guys, as always with Dave, open, honest, uncensored, candid sharing. I can't thank Dave enough for being on and being so open to share with us today. This is absolutely fantastic stuff. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. If you know somebody that could take something from it, tag them on the post, shoot it to them in a DM, tweet at them, whatever it is. As always, we're just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we possibly can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.